Hello and welcome to the 100 Day Writing Challenge, Day 69. There have been various attempts to number the types of plot, to say there are only three basic plots, or seven, or one. I think this kind of exercise is marginally interesting in the strict sense of interesting, as laid out by Murray S. Davis in his 1971 essay, That's Interesting, in that it fulfills condition 2A for a theory being interesting under Davis's schema, proposing, quote, what seem to be assorted heterogeneous phenomena are in reality composed of a single element, end quote. I think that may be only interesting to me. Oh, that's interesting. According to Murray S. Davis said the boring person. No, I, I find that genuinely interesting and that's why I quoted it. Look, when someone says, oh, look, this story is just another version of that story. The idea is we're all supposed to go, oh, well, 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 I had imagined them to be separate, but in fact, I now see they're connected. Our brains like that in so far as brains can be said to like a thing. Davis suggests one of the things humans respond to when is when our weakly held beliefs are contradicted. You might not feel especially strongly about whether Mansfield Park shares structural elements with Crocodile Dundee. And so if someone points out similarities, it's not very threatening to your model of the world, right? But it wasn't obvious either. There's an updating to your mental model. You feel like you understand the world a bit better. Oh, you say. How interesting. And and so the danger, I think, with all of this is that when we're learning about writing, we attend more to this little pleasurable pinging sensation in our heads when someone tells us a rule than we do to actual boring truth. And once you have that model in your head, confirmation bias will mean you start to notice data that supports it everywhere. And suddenly you get like this discourse where authors are talking about the three-act structure and try-fail cycles, or even just, you know, in using languages like language like the hero, your protagonist's character arc, the big climax, trotting out these terms like they're inevitable building blocks of a novel, assumptions from which all fiction rises. I am super guilty of this too. You know, it, it's easy to do. It, it's nice to do. It, when we start using jargon, we feel like we have a sense of mastery. We feel like we're growing. We feel like we can break down stories easier. We feel like we have a framework and everything becomes a bit simpler. We feel empowered. But the fact is, I've said this before, I shall say it again, fiction doesn't have rules. It has norms, and you are free to explode those norms if and when you desire. I mean, a lot of conventions in stories aren't stable over time. They aren't stable between cultures either. There are archetypes, there are ways of structuring a story, there are bits of shorthand and cultural references and in-jokes that work for some audiences and not others, and that's fine. That's okay. Some of the best stories I've read break a bunch of rules and often the author broke them naively because they didn't realise they weren't allowed to do that. You know, there are definite builds and formulas that have worked in the past that will probably work for you. And sometimes something that seems completely new that people go, oh, how original, later turns out to resemble something very old or something that a whole group of people were labouring away at for years and years and just being ignored, and then someone else does it and gets all the credit. Like, it, it, it's complicated, right? And I'm also not saying that <laughs> this doesn't mean that... Well, it does, it does mean, but of course the flip side to this is, of course, anyone can then write anything. 
And then if you don't like it or it receives any criticism, they can say they can kind of like surround it with this kind of like a bulwark of recondite theory based reasoning and say, oh, no, you don't understand the assumptions upon which this piece is built. I mean, it's possible using this model. It kind of breaks down any absolute position of critical certainty in saying something is bad or good. That's the flip side, right, is that we just end up in this kind of like endlessly spiralling uh, form of relativism where no one can say any stories bad or fails or misshapen or dull because you just go, well, actually, I'm operating on a different set of assumptions. And if you're not careful, we can't say anything about anything because people just go, it's not actually it's not for you. And uh, I'm not sure that that extreme is desirable either but nonetheless (laughs) we just have to that's what writing is that's what being a grown-up is right is operating in a world of relative values where we don't have absolute answers and making decisions and deciding what matters to you you know what do you think the rules of fiction are this isn't a trick by the way i'm not sort of setting up pit traps and then going because i know i just said there are no rules so clearly there's a catch in this question but genuinely what do you think some of the implicit rules are that underpin our writing you know what do you bring to the table when you write a story you must have some otherwise it's not a story right it must have some definitional boundaries you know when you read a story what do you expect because you have moments where you've been disappointed by a story right you could only be disappointed if you bring expectations to it. Um, you know, what constitutes fair play for you from an author? You know, what is an assumption you make that if the author didn't respect it, you feel confused or cheated? Look, like, I'll give you a basic one. The protagonist's name stays the same. They're not called Jim on one page and Larry on another. Sounds like an obvious rule. Sounds like I'm being facetious. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but it's still a rule, right? Or at least it's a norm. You could break it. Alarms wouldn't go off. The police wouldn't come round. Well, not for that anyway, maybe for the numerous other crimes that have gone undetected until now. Um, But what would be the effect? And what would be the cost? Because this is really a lot of what it's about is not about things you can and can't do, but norms that if you violate, violate is maybe too negative a word, but norms which if you traduce, if we can sound more intellectual by saying a word like traduce, Norms which, if you ignore, they have it has a certain effect and it has a certain cost, right? And you can decide what the payoff and cost ratio is and whether it's worth it for what you want to do. What's the effect? What about, you know, the character's backstory? That has to remain constant, right? Well, no. Like I said, there are no rules. But if at one point we're told that your main character was, was a firefighter for 10 years and later... Uh, a part of the plot relies on the fact that they've spent their whole life working as a history lecturer. What then? Like, that feels like I, I, most of us would read that as a mistake, as laziness. Hmm. Like, those are some quite fundamental norms, but there might be some less obvious ones you can think of. Like, if a story starts off with a detective investigating a murder above a tea shop in a quaint... Devonshire village in the 1930s we don't expect in chapter three for alien parasites to emerge from the vicar's stomach so that's going to be today's exercise not to write a 
detective, a cosy detective mystery about an alien invasion in a Devonshire village. Uh, that that would be too specific. I mean, at some point you may get the opportunity to do that. I'm not saying it's a bad thing to do. You know, it's not a million miles away from how I fed my family for a few years. But like that, what we're going to do for today's exercise is essentially a list exercise again with a twist. Oh no! There are no rules, only norms. I'd like you to have a go at articulating implicit rules or norms in fiction. Actually, rather than just letting these float around in the kind of like uh, in the ether of your subconscious, let's get some of them down on paper and make ourselves aware of them. And after each one that you write down, I'd like you to have a go at proposing a story where that norm is violated. Just a sentence. And remember, these can be big, broad rules, like massive, like foundational rules of fiction, or little tiny ones you might have never considered. This is, I'm kind of like trying to turn you into a kind of punk writer today. You know, having a go at being a bit more of a revolutionary and smashing some boundaries and shaking the system to its foundations. Here, like, here's an example of a norm and a one-sentence story description that follows it up. So, here's the norm. Phone numbers in fiction shouldn't be real. Right? <laughs> you don't normally to expect you expect to read a, a story and, 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 and personal phone numbers in it to be genuine ones uh and then the idea is a, a novel about a man with amnesia hunting for the truth about his past which includes phone numbers that if you ring them they link you to real voice messages where the reader hears recorded dialogue that fills in critical secrets from the story that's one example I'm not saying it's good it's just an example of an assumption and something that breaks that assumption like not all of your rule breaking is going to produce good ideas it's worth noticing how you feel about them. Sometimes you may find yourself resisting, like, is this, am I being pretentious? Like, would people judge me for even playing with this? Is this the kind of thing someone who's a bit arrogant? Some of us get that kind of energy around these things, you know, like, oh, am I being a bit presumptuous and arrogant and big-headed to think I'm being clever doing this? Which assumes all sorts of, like, levels of people watching you and judging you and that judgmental voices in your head we're just doing a exercise um but you know not all of these things are going to be make viable or good sounding stories that's not the point in fact it'd be, i'm really hoping you know as i said right right at the beginning if you don't produce some stuff by the end of this course that makes you feel a bit embarrassed then you haven't kind of like you haven't really pushed yourself in the way that i'd like you to you know like the whole point of doing exercises rather than just paid commissions is to have that space to grow by pushing yourself right up to the wall of what you can do what you feel comfortable with um, by doing that you are expanding the space that you can work in and meaning that if at some stage you want to write a novel if you want to write stories actually your comfort zone i know that's a kind of cliche term but it's been expanded so far that you are operating well within your comfort zone because you are used to every day understanding that the process of creating is about going into places where your brain is going to where you are going to be getting error messages back okay, this is a mistake this is a mistake this isn't how the pattern goes and that understanding that that feeling of like oh i'm not sure about this <laughs> this seems wrong 
is actually a sign that you are you're getting to the new stuff and later you can come out and go well that's wrong in a sort of not particularly useful way it is wrong in a very interesting way as soon as you you can you can work that out later but understanding no one is watching and unless your writing circumstances are slightly unusual somewhat bizarre and someone is actually observing you, in which case I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. But for most of us, no one's looking over our shoulder. No one's peering in judgmentally, except for um, your old writing demon. I don't know what you decided to call them in the end. They're probably uh, watching, trying to protect you in their normal, maladaptive, unhelpful way. You can say hello to them, call them out by name. Say, hey there. Hey, screw tape. How are you doing? Thanks for that. Thanks for that. I'm going to keep going. But thanks for that. I hear you. No, I hear you. Thank you for that. Thanks for looking after me. Give them a bit of space. Expand the space that you're in. Then you're going to be you're going to be all right. But that, you know, when they pipe up, poor thing, then that kind of, no, you know, you're, you know that your adventure has started. You know, you know that you're, that you're sailing away from the island. You know that you've started on the quest. You know that... They're going, there's trouble out there. Don't go that way. Uh-oh, here be dragons. Well, that's how you know you're off on a quest. That's how you know you're off on an adventure. And there's always learning to be done. And um, it's hard doing what we're doing. It's hard and it's challenging. And that's why I think it's worthwhile. And there are monsters out here. And, you know, to perish in the battle is no shame. Far better than the kind of like slow retreat where you didn't get to see all these wonders. So that's what I think about that anyway. The the point of this exercise really is just to help you become conscious of this whole invisible web of conventions and shortcuts that we tiptoe across when we write fiction, right? And, and, And the first thing that happens when we become consciously aware of stuff that we've been aware of intuitively feels a bit uncomfortable you know it's like learning a new posture it's like learning how to do a golf swing or something it feels clunky it feels unnatural your arms aren't sitting and leg and legs aren't positioned in a way that feels right and you kind of think "I'll, i'll never be able to do this and that position that prediction is normally wrong but you have to persevere through a threshold of yeah I feel like I'm getting worse. Well, no, actually, you're just becoming more conscious. And whenever we try something new, whenever you try something new and you push yourself, the first effect of that is going to be um, the localised density of failure will massively increase. And that tells you that you're going in the right direction. A lot of the conventions that we operate on are super useful, but it's exciting to play with what might happen. Remember all that if we talked about? If all of these are if or maybe or perhaps or he could he might right you've got 10 minutes to list as many fiction rules as you can think of they can be structure rules style rules other like um, rules of format maybe rules of like how something gets published whatever you like no one's going to look at this except you unless you share it and then for each one try to come up with a one sentence story idea or just 
you know, a piece of art or whatever or something that breaks or subverts that rule, whether it's a big rule or a tiny rule. Got it. Thanks for hearing me out. Cool. Good luck with this. Three, two, one.
I don't know how you found that. Um, I think that might be one of the hardest exercises I've given you so far. And we're quite far in now, right? And I, I want to push you each time, so I, I sort of try not to soft soap it. Uh, you might have found it sort of like sort of rather um, unspectacular as well. But I just think I know some of the exercises I've given you in the past might have been a little eccentric. I'm looking at you write a whole piece without nouns exercise. But this one out of all of them, I think, really makes you examine your assumptions about what fiction is. And for some of us who just kind of want to write about ripping yarns and people overcoming monsters or you know, just kind of like cool stories about something. This stuff that smells slightly of theory and literary criticism and sort of chin-stroking people writing long, dusty essays uh, in journals. Um, it can just smack slightly of the um, wheezing and aloof pretension of the... Uh, of the academic's office and I'm 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 no I'm no stranger to those offices I don't mean to like try and portray myself unconvincingly as a man of the people either like I, I love theory in like some literary criticism when it's actually written well and it just doesn't kind of like clothe itself in a, a sort of series of uh, sort of gnarly allusions um, to cover up it's essential intellectual bankruptcy um but you know i get it as well that like you uh, like some of these things you may go well this isn't really what i got into writing for tim you know to try and upend the genre i just want to write a good story but i feel like kind of coming out to these places and like really thinking about big ideas of like assumptions around plot and stuff at the at the very least they clarify why the basics work so well i think they can be a reaffirmation of just like if you want to write like a disney plot of like voyage and return of quest of overcoming the monster of rags to riches whatever with exactly those beats that three act structure if you want to write that good for you i think to be able to define it to be able to recognize the shape of it you must go outside of what it is and see what it's not you have to look at the stuff that violates those things and go Ugh. it doesn't mean those things are wrong but then you get really get a sense an intuitive sense of when you're cleaving to it and when you're not because you had experience of like looking at what i don't want to call it like a failure state of that kind of plot is but you can't get a good comparison between between uh, the thing you're aiming for and things outside it, unless you make yourself um, intimately uh, conversant with the the alternatives, and then you know what each of them tastes like when you when when you pop them in your mouth, and you know you might have felt slightly frustrated, like I was messing you around or being pretentious. You know, I'm not deliberately. I may be pretentious. I don't really like terms like pretentious or self indulgent. They seem to be incredibly judgmental and uh, kind of things that feed um, the uh, little writing demon in our heads. But violating a norm like use full stops, 
like usually that's gonna result in this kind of like sloppy unintelligible porridge of words full stops are just kind of like a polite little bit of signaling for the readers they help organize thoughts taking them away unless you've got a good reason doesn't normally help but not but not always right sometimes writers adopt these apparently silly stylistic changes like not using speech marks and then they become popular and readers adapt to them and they have a feel and they can be really cool in certain circumstances and i'm just also just thinking about that it can clarify your short thoughts it can sharpen the edges of your understanding of your craft and it can renew your respect for the creaky old conventions of storytelling that you may have dismissed as formulaic or cheesy you go oh no these may actually just be iconic and occasionally it's just funny right and i think bringing a light-hearted spirit to your creative practice once in a while or even more than once in a while may i say thrice in a while is probably the best medicine you can possibly imbibe if you're prone to self-criticism and perfectionism righty right i don't know about you but i am pooped super pooped please deposit yourself in the safety of a soft feather bed or bean bag or appropriate substitute perhaps a lovely bath with some Epsom salts or similar, allow every muscle in you to go like the jelly. Blemange yourself, unwind, you are doing so well and I'm super, super, super genuine and deep in my heart in uh, Le Corps de Nuit. I don't know why I'm the knight suddenly. Perhaps I'm just trying to cast myself as a sort of like more mysterious than I am. Right, that's quite not, I'm started speaking in card French. I think it's time for me to go, take care and I shall see you tomorrow. The 100-Day Writing Challenge is made possible with the kind support of Arts Council England.